I heard a great quote, you know, that process leads to progress and progress leads to results. They'll take those very sim simple words and go, you know, process leads to progress and progress leads to results. Yeah, you know, there's something there, you know? And I just like that flow, you know? Um, don't let where you're at now tell you where you're gonna be because now is always changing. Are you looking to take charge of your life? Would you like to learn? How to become a master of your mind and body to make better decisions. Welcome to Vibe, Mind, Body and Entrepreneurship Podcast. I'm your host, Binky Lumba, a real estate investor. I love connecting with people and educating them on how to create a passive income stream. And I am Raju Datla and I help realtors, real estate investors increase their revenue. I also enjoy connecting with people and building long-term relationships. We bring industry professionals, thought leaders, and experts to discuss how our mind and body plays a big role in our daily decisions, big or small. Through this podcast, our purpose is to make people aware and educate them to make wise decisions for their investments and take correct steps towards their entrepreneurial journey. Are you ready for a great episode? Please keep listening. We have a free gift for you at the end. And also, don't forget to subscribe to our show. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Vibe uh, Mind, Body, and Entrepreneurship. Today, we have Jefferson Keith Langley. Jefferson is the co-founder of Cutting Edge AI Enhanced Social Interactive Technology Mobile App launching in spring 2019. He's the CEO of Innovative Intellectual Property Web Technology for Storytellers. He's also involved in numerous brands that he owns and advises from products to real estate brokerage. Mr. Langley has directed and photographed for brands and music industries, as well as creative director for campaigns. Jefferson's con continues to expand his scope outside entertainment. So welcome, Jefferson Keith Langley. Welcome, Jefferson. Quite a resume. So tell us about your background. How did you become who you are today? I grew up in a town in Texas, uh, about an hour from Dallas. I was born in Amarillo, but moved uh, when I was, just before I was one, my parents moved because I was born with a rare disease. You know, they had me move to a major city near Dallas so that the, the hospitals were better and all that kind of stuff. And so um, uh, both my parents are, you know, totally polar opposites. My mother is a... Um, is a body worker and, you know, is really kind of around that Eastern philosophy of, you know, she took Tai Chi and Qigong and I used to go to those classes when I was a little kid. And uh, so I had that, that interesting dichotomy because I'm part Native American Indian. And, and my father is from another country and we were talking to Roger before, you know, he came to this country with nothing. His family was very poor. Um, but uh, I was raised around athletics, you know, athletics was a very big thing in my life. And what she, what she instilled in me or what he instilled in me, I guess, kind of created this nice mixture of, you know, kind of being mindful and aware and uh, knowing that there's more to, you know, life than meets the eye. And at the same time, it was all about achievements and results and performance with my father. He was a, he was a sprinter growing up and, uh, needed to, you know, kind of spread his wings as an athlete. And, you know, his family was very poor and they couldn't afford shoes. So he actually ran competitively in bare feet on the track and beat everybody's ass. And um, so I kind of had, I guess you could say a little bit of a 
blue collar work ethic. You know, his father worked in the in the mills in Detroit and would come over the border to um, to Detroit to you know basically work for the day and would go back across the border at night. And so you know, I guess a little bit of a, that work ethic with my mother's kind of you know mindfulness and, and spirituality or whatever you want to call it. And I just. Uh, you know, really took to both of them and said, you know, how can I merge them and be a little bit better than what I maybe could have been without the other. And so what, what happened is, is that um, I moved to LA at 19. I had gone on scholarship to play sports and I played soccer for most of my life. At three years old, my father noticed that I was a, I was kind of an overachiever and changed my birth certificate, you know, it's probably not, I mean, it's probably not legal, but he changed it from three to five and, you know, forging a government document or whatever. But uh, so I started playing sports early on and I was a prodigy. And so I kind of moved up the ranks and, you know, was in the Olympic development programs and things like that. But um, when I moved out to LA at 19, I just, I just always had this thing that I was a go-getter, you know, uh, my friends called me, called me the Rottweiler because I just, you know, when I saw something or when I wanted to do something, it was like laser focus, laser focus, like, you know, and of course people have different opinions about that. You know, they're, uh, you know, oh, he's a, you know, there's some people he's a user or whatever. And it's just, you know, I just feel like I'm driven by something deeper you know, bigger, you know, I believe in God and I, you know, was raised in the Bible belt and not necessarily religious per se, but I just think that, you know, some people call it the prompt or I call it the nudge, you know, I kind of get this nudge, you know, and I, I mean, my wife and I talk about it, you know, it's, I, I go to her and go, you know, I think I'm supposed to help this person. She goes, but you don't even know them. Like, it's not really my job to know, you know, I just feel like I'm supposed to, you know, <laughs> you know, I think, with those humble beginnings, you know, and growing up in my life, my father was very successful as a kid and I uh, ended up losing everything. And, uh, you know, we lost our houses and our cars and all that stuff. And um, when we finally could afford to get a car, you know, we, he went to an auction and bought a U.S. mail truck with three speeds. It only went, 30, it only went 35 miles an hour and it had one seat. So I, you know, dug a chair, you know, dug at, in the dumpsters of different neighborhoods to try to find. And so I built these different chairs for my mom and I to sit so they could take me to school and stuff. And, and it's actually illegal to drive in a government vehicle and not be a government official. So we had to paint over the, over the bird of the U.S. post office, you know. Um, so I think with these experiences, I just, you know, from seeing so much of the both sides of it, of, you know, my father had everything and we, you know, I mean, we had stand-up video games in our game room in our house in Plano, Texas, and, you know, had handmade uh, pool tables and dartboards, you know, that were, you know, one of a kind. They were handcrafted, you know, to go from that extreme to, you know, hand-me-down clothes and, you know, um, you know, uh, food stamps. And, you know, I, I just have seen so much of different, of the different angles of life that, I just kind of took it upon myself to go, you know, maybe maybe my role is to have a different understanding about the, you know, the bigger picture and not tell anybody there's one way to do it, but just go, hey, these are the options, you know, whatever resonates with you and the heart and, you know, and your brain can wrap around it and you go, that, that's me, that's me right there. Do that, 
Because that's what I did. Where was your dad from? He's from a small town in Ontario, Canada called Windsor. Oh, okay. Because I know there's uh, quite a few runners who used to run bare feet. And then uh, someone Olympic too. I think there was one um, Indian too from India. This guy used to, he didn't, he couldn't afford the shoes. So he used to practice bare feet. And I know from Ethiopia too. That was the the first guy, right? Who won the Olympics back in the 60s. Yeah. 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 My father came to America in 1956. He was nationalized and um, so it was a little bit before that when he was in high school, he was also a hockey player, of course, from Canada. He wanted to go pro, and uh, but he was just, you know, very quick. Um, and still to this day, even when I was growing up in his 40s and I was 10, he was in business with a couple of Dallas Cowboys because I was going to school with their kids and my parents and their parents were friends. And so he opened up some businesses with some very famous Dallas Cowboys at the time. And one time, they were at a driving range. My father was a professional golfer as well. And they were hitting golf balls. And one of the linemen from the Dallas Cowboys was, hey, I heard you were fast at your time and all this. And long story short, they made a bet. You know, I bet you $1,000 they can beat you. And so my father literally took off his tennis shoes, got in his bare feet because that's all he knows, and, you know, raced this Dallas Cowboy lineman and beat him. And so, I mean, I just, you know, when you grow up around that mentality – uh, you know, this kind of all or nothing, very assertive, aggressive, and not a, not so aggressive that it's, you know, um, to the demise of others. But, you know, if the ball's there and it's between you and me, I'm going to do everything I can to get it, you know, and that's just the way I'm raised. It's, it's like my wiring. Where did you get that mentality? You know, I'd say it was a couple, maybe a couple things, you know, I don't think it's one thing. I think it was the uh, kind of a com- combination of a mixture. Um, I have had quite a few near-death experiences throughout my life for whatever reason, but um, I think when something like that happens, it, it changes you, you know, permanently. And you kind of, you kind of, you know, like a switch turns on going, you know, it's, it's almost like survival, but almost survival mixed with seize the moment all at the same time, you know, because when you've had that experience um, and I, you know, I was 16 and we, me and some football players got jumped one time and, you know, a kid put the, put a gun to my forehead at right, right here in my, you know, this, my third eye or center of my head and pulled the trigger and it jammed. Wow. And, and when, you know, when you face these kind of things, you go, you know, I'm pretty, not only lucky to be here, but, you know, by the grace of God or whatever it is someone believes in, um, I owe it the obligation to, to make something of this because I very easily could not be here. And, and then also what my parents went through to, to give me the opportunities that I had to, to make something in my life. You know, I think um, that, that mixture really gave me this do it for them, do it for yourself, do it for God, do it for the people who don't have a chance because if you make it now you can give them a chance, you know, it's sort of this whole thing. And, um, so I think I think it was probably in my early young childhood, around five or six, in that range, where I started going. You know, we owe it to ourselves and so, and the bigger picture to give it everything you got. Fast forward, like you know, what made you pull towards the Hollywood? I did commercials when I was a little kid. You know, my mother would take me, and I got approached by a scout from J.C. Penney. You know, oh, we love his look. We're doing this. 
you know, ethnic competition and ended up going all the way to the finals in Washington, D.C. And so an agent picked me up and was, you know, sending me out for commercials. And, you know, I was the token brown kid, you know, in, in, in the commercials, you know. And I'm not as dark as, you know, as, uh, you know, other, other people are. But I think this, I was the acceptable level of darkness, you know. And and my name wasn't too ethnic either. Jefferson Keith Lang, you know, it sounds very white, you know. Yeah. So um, I think with that, I kind of had enough courage to go, you know, I think I'm going to go to L.A. And something tells me that my opportunities lie there. And I didn't know a single person. And I saved up as much money as I could. I think it was around 1500 $1, bucks. And I came to L.A. I didn't know anybody. And I just drove out. And I ended up going to, into North Hollywood and I found an apartment that was for rent. I just saw a sign, you know, rent by the week. And I moved in and it took me about three months to realize that I wasn't even in Hollywood because I couldn't find all the stuff you've, you know, the Grauman's Chinese and all that stuff. I'm like, where's all the stars on the Walk of Fame? And, all, you know, in the, I stopped at a gas station and the gas station attendant busted out laughing. He's like, you got to go over the hill, go over Laurel Canyon. And then I drove over the, for the first time and went, oh my gosh. And I just felt at home and it just clicked. You know, I met the right kids that were um, kind of up and coming and I got into kind of an in crowd just by the, you know, the fluke over the right time, right moment. And, uh, you know, it kind of just took off. You said you went broke and came here. So yeah. can you get into that? Like you, you said twice, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah to get into those stories, you know, obviously it's tough, you know, because when you're faced with that that level of survival, you know, you, you know, so much goes through your head and so much goes through your um, psyche. You know, my gosh, how you know how did this happen and what you know what could I have done differently? And there's so many things that you, you know, beat yourself up about about you know what could you have done differently? You could answer that everything, obviously, you know. Right. But then, but then you struggle. I struggle with that and going, you know, I don't want to validate myself and invalidate my path because, you know, if if I believe in God and I believe in faith and I believe in you know commitment and all that kind of stuff, then it's just like when my soccer career wasn't going that well and it, you know, people were going, hey, I don't think he's going to get noticed by the scouts. I don't think that he's got, he's quite at that level and your performances drop and, you know, so I had a little bit to draw upon, but. Um, you know, it was just some circumstances that one of them, the biggest one was when I lost everything and ended up on the streets and living out of a suitcase and was, you know, I met someone that uh, became very obsessed with, with me and, uh, you know, went to the extent that you would never believe of, you know, um, trying to destroy my life. If she couldn't have me, no one could. And she destroyed my reputation she called she looked up everybody that I'd ever worked with on any project and called them and you know told them I was selling drugs on the black market and black tar heroin you know and mind you that I, you know I'm coming from a group of kids the, I mean these are guys that made you know famous movies famous series and we all came from the same group you know they were actors that ended up getting series like Supernatural and I mean huge huge and all these this group of brat packers ended up massive, you know? And I knew the Toby Maguire's when they were nobody, Leonardo DiCaprio when he was just coming up, you know, it was just this group of kids. And so 
I had never really experienced this level of survival like this. And, um, you know, I, you know, I guess I kind of dug deep and I looked at myself and I took responsibility for the decisions that I made and the things that created these this decisions to say, you know, because I'm a believer that if you don't take responsibility for it, you can't change it. You know, and if you, if you don't say, you know, I did this, you don't have the authority to say, and now I want to do this, you know? So I, you know, sat down and made a list of all the different decisions I could have made. And obviously meeting this person was one of them and how I handled it. And obviously I didn't handle it at the best that I could have because, you know, it, it, it went bad, you know? So I uh, told myself I'm going to start at the bottom and I ended up going out to the, you know, hitchhiking out to the desert, basically. I, I um, asked people for money to get a ticket to, a one-way ticket to the desert. And I got on the train and took it out to the desert and didn't have anywhere to go. And one night I was uh, sleeping in a Hilton Hotel um, pool area, laying below <laughs> where everybody sits so that they couldn't, so security, when they walked, they couldn't see me. And at night, when the security would leave, I would jump in the pool with all my clothes and that's how I would shower. And so I, uh, I got on my knees and I went, God, you know, if you help me out of this one, I'll, I'll, I'll do it better. I'll do better and I'll make, make better decisions. And, and when you give me everything that, whatever it is you give me, I'm gonna take it and I'm gonna make, make it better for everyone else. And, Literally the next day I was sitting in a Starbucks because it was the only place with air conditioning that I could get into that they wouldn't bother me, a guy with a suitcase. And there was a woman there and it was interesting because there was a woman there who with my look and I'm sitting with a suitcase, she got up and moved. And there were people sitting around and it was just a very awkward experience. And I was telling my wife about this because she hadn't heard the story. And, and I go, you know, I've been thinking about this moment and I'll share with you, with you now because of my look, looking, you know, Mediterranean or Middle Eastern or whatever, everybody thinks I'm French, you know, Moroccan, North African, Spanish, Italian, I mean, whatever. Whatever they are, they usually go, you must be that. And so because of my look and I had a suitcase, she got up and moved and she turned back and looked at me and she goes, you know, you should be ashamed of yourself because you make people feel uncomfortable. And I go, I'm sorry, I don't know what you're talking about. She goes, well, with your look, and having a suitcase, you could very well be a bomber. Wow. And I sat and I went, wow. You know, she doesn't know my story. She doesn't know that I'm living on the street. You know, she doesn't know where I come from, you know, 6,000 square foot house on Mulholland to nothing. Worse than nothing. No car, no driver's license, no bank account, no cell phone, no nothing. And so I ended up moving inside to get away from the awkwardness. And because I moved in there, there was this chair and I sat down at the chair and I'm sitting there and I turn and look and in walk these two Buddhist monks. And so because there's nowhere else for them to sit, they come and ask, can they sit with me? And they ended up talking with me and we ended up having this very deep spiritual conversation. They could obviously tell that I was not in, you know, a high place materially, mm -hmm. but internally and mentally and spiritually. I never, I didn't let it affect me because it, it's always changing, you know, you, you're not what they say and what it is, you're, you're what you're becoming. And so I would just say that to myself. And so they looked at me and they go, why don't you come with us to the temple? We'll give you a place to stay. I ended up staying there three and a half months. Nice. No, 
no electricity, no, <laughs> no cell phone, no nothing. So for three and a half months, I donated my time and I said, I'm going to, you know, I'm here for a reason. I'm not a Buddhist. I don't not believe in it. I don't believe in it. I don't, I don't have a preference on what they believe in, you know, to each their own. And as long as you're helping the bigger picture and the greater cause, you know, good for you. So, so I end up planting trees. I raked walkways over seven acres of desert for them. I planted gardens. I fed wildlife. I fed mountain lions by hand. I mean, it was insane. And my takeaways from that is, is that as long as there's a common focus, you can come from any walk of life and it can work. Mm -hmm. If you have a common focus, you know, like a center point ego, I'm in agreement to that. You may be black, you may be white, you may be Indian, you may be whatever, but if you have that common focus, the energy can be channeled into it and actions can be moved. And so our goal was to get this temple off the ground and get it known in the area. And I mean, so much came from that. And I just ended up um, getting a donation from one of the people that saw me working so hard and raking seven acres of not asking for anything. I never, you know, um, took anything from them. And uh, they said, I want to help you get back to LA. I want to help you get back to what you're supposed to be doing. And they gave me a loan and I went and came back to LA and everything took off. And I ended up giving them the money back and you know, the rest is history. Wow. Um, so how did you end up in real estate? Uh, in my 20s, I was with this group of guys, you know, they, with the success that they were, they were having and we were all having, you know, we pooled our money together and we started buying houses and living in them and then renovating them ourselves and teaching ourselves, you know, now it's called uh, DIY, right? Do it, do it yourself, DIY. Um, but back then it wasn't called flipping. It was just, it was called renovating, you know? And so we would, we would get some money together and like, let's do the kitchen floors. So we would rip up the kitchen floors and we put down our own floors and then like, okay, now let's wait. Now let's do the living room floors. And we just did that. And we realized that by the time we were done, it was accruing not only the value of the neighborhood because, you know, costs were going up and people were getting out and, you know, but from the value of the renovations, we were getting our money back plus a certain percentage. And like, man, we could, what if we do this on a bigger house? And so we went to another friend and going, hey, there's two of us. We just did this. Here's how it worked. You're like, you wanna, if you're the third guy, let's go get a four bedroom because we were living in a three bedroom. You know? <laughs> you're like, the math is the same. It's just you're multiplying it by the square footage. And so then we did it again and we did it again and, and it just worked. And so when it came time to get investors and, you know, I partnered with this billionaire who, uh, you know, I mean, he owns Goodman Homes and I mean, massive, like he'll do 30,000 homes at once. I mean, massive. He was Forbes uh, executive of the year in 2006 and 2008. Um, you know, he's on the New York Stock Exchange, all that stuff. And he inherited this, you know, mammoth of a corporation from his father and grandfather. Really good guy. And he said, you know, you find good investments. I'll put the money up and you do the work and, you know, we'll split it 50-50. So I just started looking for great deals and I found a 6,000 square foot house on Mulholland that um, I lived in and then we flipped it and 
Um, we got it at 200,000 below market value because the person who owned it needed to dump it before the end of the year and we bought it in November. So I started noticing these trends, you know, there's, there's certain quarters where people were, you know, looking to get out because they needed to move their money to something else, you know, so I just started kind of putting this model together in my head and I just kept doing it and it just worked. And so when I met, you know, my wife and she had done it herself, and just going, you know, when we find good things, let's do it again. And so um, it was just, uh, it was that thing that I, I enjoy the process of building. You know, it's very similar to movies. And, and I just have a very keen eye at going, you know, I know what this is now. Don't look at it what it is now. Look at it what it could be. And I heard a great quote, you know, that, um, Process leads to progress and progress leads to results. They'll take those very sim simple words and go, you know, process leads to progress and progress leads to, yeah, you know, there's something there, you know, and I just like that flow, you know. Um, when you got back from the Buddhist monastery, was that easy for you to get back to where you are today? Uh, no, not Or what was the path like? Because you were so successful, then you went oh, downhill and then you started again from ground yeah. up. What was yeah. that journey like? Uh, you know, like I would say like probably most people's journeys, it was hard, you know I mean? Um, obviously I'm dealing, you know, I'm walking back into a scenario where I have a tattered reputation from somebody, you know, because once it's on, on the internet or once, you know, it kind of, get spread, you you uh, you kind of can't get that stickiness off of you. So, you know, dealing with that, dealing with, you know, learning how to get, trusting myself again, trusting my instinct about things and people and um, learning, relearning the things that I thought I knew that obviously I needed to know more about. And so I just um, asked for help with from people that I thought were impressive you know hey can you you know what's your take on that and getting different perspectives and uh really finding finding my voice again and finding my way again did you feel you are different after coming from the buddhist monastery than what you were before the life that you were living before there was yes. some change some transformation yeah probably yes um the short answer would be yes i mean i i I would say that I, I was, I mean, clearly I'm a completely different person. Not that I wasn't it, it before, but I had more courage to be it. Where back in the day, I saw myself and I go, you know, oh, I know what I want to be, but, you know, I'm in my cocoon and kind of keeping it to myself. Where after that experience, you know, these monks, they're, they're so them, you know? They have no inhibitions. They don't apologize for being spiritual. They don't apologize for, you know, liking money. And, you know, they have no attachment to the money. And they almost like money more because it, they just go and, like, give them, you know, they walk to people and go, here's $5. And people would look at them, you know, and they're like, okay, thanks. And they just walk off. I mean, you know, no attachment to it, you know. And I'd go, you know, how does that work? And they'd, they'd kind of show me things and, and then I'd poke back at it. And so I, I absorb things much better. Mm -hmm. You know, I take the hits in a different way. I kind of take the hit, learn from it, and then channel it into something that I can use being useful, you know.
Can you go into that whole story, how you came up with the current, you know, story you're coming with that you're producing oh, now? How you came war, up with it? Yeah, the War Scrolls. Um, so I, yeah, it was, I was living in a, basically an abandoned home, uh, homeless with a couple other people. And, you know, I, I had contemplated, you know, maybe it was time I should take my own life and step out and, you know, end the pain, you know. And I got on my knees and prayed. I, there, you know, there was no furniture. I was sleeping on a hardwood floor with a blanket. And so this is it, you know, either take me or I'll, I'll take care of it myself. And, and I dreamt that night this story and it was about this guy and this whole thing about this angel that came in and took a body and became a human. And he's here on these missions to, you know, to hunt down evil. And, and so when I woke up, I went, oh my gosh, so I called a friend and I said, can I borrow a can I borrow your computer? I don't have a computer. I, I, I think I'm supposed to write the story. And I wrote it and it's called The War Scrolls and um, based a little bit loosely on the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, which basically tells the story of how humankind came into existence. And so I'm turning it into a, a thriller. So you're making a movie of that? Out a of movie, that story? Yeah, a movie and a game, uh, interactive game. So you're making, this is the story of your game that you're working yeah. on at current. Yes. And yes. then you started working on this story or you yeah. had this dream when you are going through, when you were in the Buddhist monastery during that time? Right after when I came back. Can you tell us what, what do you do now professionally? Uh, so right now I am doing these tech platforms. I have another project that uh, that's another feature. Uh, I have a kid's book that I optioned with a writer from the Midwest, a really great guy. He's a teacher, eighth grade. He teaches in um, the under, you know, underprivileged neighborhoods. And uh, he wrote a four book series. Um, so we're turning that, we're concocting that into an animated series for kids, uh, kind of a Harry Potter type thing. I'm all, you know, still looking at the real estate stuff. I mean, right now it's madness. So we're, you know, we're kind of staying away from flips because it's pretty competitive right now from buyers. You know, the inventory is low. As you know, Vicky, you're, you're very successful at the real estate game. Um, so I'm doing the real estate thing and got these apps. And, you know, I'm always kind of got, getting my hands in different things where, um, you know, I can help people build something um, that, that's worth building. You know? Wow. So you're doing so many things. You're very successful uh, in multiple phases in your life. So what next for you? Oh, man, you know, I've been telling my wife, you know, I keep getting the nudge to, you know, start a nonprofit. Um, you know, I, I always had this dream that when I was in, when I was younger, that I was going to help kids be more creative. And, um, you know, I've always wanted to start a nonprofit that buys, you know, map colors and markers and all these different creative things, paper and all this stuff, you know, iPads and, you know, so that kids can draw, paint, color, you know, this kind of stuff, because I just think it's such a, an important component of human, of our human society that people maintain that creative mindset because some of the best innovations come from creative people. You know, they may not be the ones that carry it out, but they're definitely the ones that are thinking about it and creating these ideas. And I know for me, I, I still have coloring books since I, you know, since I was a kid and, 
you know, so I, I want to do something around the art community and, and creative community and helping kids be creative, you know. What's the one golden nugget you can share? Don't let where you're at now tell you where you're going to be because now is always changing. I agree on that. Because the current platform, wherever you are, you cannot foresee the future where you're going to be. You can only see whatever is in your experience yeah. and future is not in your experience. We have the rapid fire. Five, five questions, one word or one sentence answers. Okay. Who was the most influential person in your life? My coach, Charlie Kodupsky. What's the best book you have read or recommend? The Fingerprints of the Gods. What is your biggest passion? Being a better person than I was yesterday. In one word, what does life mean to you? Finding a way and taking that path. If you have to pick, what is your favorite food? Probably pizza. How can people reach out to you? I mean, I'm on some social media. I mean, you can find me on LinkedIn. I have a profile on there. You can reach out and Facebook. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Hope you have enjoyed listening to this episode. As promised, I have a free ebook for you. Seven reasons why real estate syndications build long-term wealth. Please go to my website, www.lumbainvest.com to download your free copy. Please tune into our weekly podcast, Why Mind, Body, and Entrepreneurship. If you're listening live, please give us hashtag live. And if you are replaying, please give our podcast hashtag replay and give us a five-star rating. Also, if you like to learn about passive investing, please feel free to join our Investors Club by filling out the Investor Qualification Form at www.lumbainvest.com. See you next week in the next episode with another awesome guest. We'd love to hear from you and get your feedback. Please follow us on the social media and connect with us on LinkedIn and Facebook.